Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Six Figure Investor Podcast. We're excited to have you with us today. We're going to be talking about these surprising 2023 markets and what they might mean for you. What's up with markets in 2023? Yeah, what's up with markets in 2023, Brian? I don't know about you, but it's been sort of surprising. So it's been up. A lot of people thought it was going to go down. Yeah, I feel like the, the forecasts last year, like the end of year yeah. tell-alls, People were kind of like, we're not really sure. We're not really sure what's going to happen. Or it was sometimes like doomsday. We, sometimes we call that Wall Street consensus. It was forecasting that the market's going to go down at the beginning of the year and then maybe have a better second half. And so really? far, we're off to the races. I yeah. thought it was called clickbait. <laughs> not clickbait. Come on. There's a lot of people that, that spend hours and hours and hours toiling over their forecast. And we pay a lot of attention to that stuff too. So I don't, I don't make light of that. But it is really important more so to have a long-term investment plan than it is to try to figure out what's going to happen with the market in these six-month time period. But we're going to talk about why the beginning of this year has been different than what a lot of people expected. Excellent. Hello, and welcome to the Six Figure Investor Podcast. Are you a professional who wants straightforward, trustworthy financial strategies that you can act on? Are you entering your highest income earning years and discovering that your personal finances are becoming too complex? We get it. You're a highly competent professional, but you don't have time to go deep on your personal finances the way you do with your day job. Hi, I'm Brian, and helping professionals make smart financial decisions is my passion. I run a financial advisory practice called The Capital Stewards and work with professionals like you who are trying to cut through the noise. It's time to stop Googling every question you have about money and dive into some real professional guidance. So let's get moving. As we were just saying, I think people were either really uncertain about what was going to happen in the 23 markets or were forecasting, you know, that big scary word with the, that starts with an R. The recession word. Yeah. yeah, the recession word. Yeah, in some form or, or, or a landing. That's been my other favorite, oh. <laughs> favorite thing. Now we've gone from we're going to have a soft landing or a hard landing to now we're not going to land the plane at all. It's like touching good. We're just going to sort of <laughs> get close and then go on by. Excellent. Um, so we've added, we've added more landings to our vocabulary. So most asset markets this year, including stocks and bonds, real estate, to the extent that it's traded publicly, right? So REITs um, are all. Are, are, also up, all of those assets have had a really strong start to the year. Technology companies, Facebook, Meta is the, the corporate name. Uh, Tesla too, they're up more than 50% since the beginning of the year. And, and that's been in the news. And so I think a lot of people were seeing that, but the strongest returns in broader markets have actually come from smaller companies. So small cap stocks and mid cap stocks, both of those indices are up more than 12% year to date. And they're leading the way, followed by international stocks in developed markets like Europe and Japan and emerging economies like India and China. So it's been smaller companies in the United States and the emerging world, emerging, I'll put in quotes because India and China are, are huge countries, but we still consider them to be emerging economies. Why? So that's, that's a really great question. Remember in our 2023 outlook, we talked about a couple of things. So the first thing is the United States dollar, the US dollar, is depreciating, is going down because we had, as rates rose last year, lots of people bought dollars because they could earn a lot of interest holding US dollars relative to other assets. And now as we kind of reach the peak of the cycle in Fed interest rate hikes, the dollar is going to start to depreciate. And so folks um, are buying international companies because those companies will do better as the dollar depreciates. From a valuation standpoint, 
those stock markets are just less expensive. If we think about the price relative to the earnings of the companies, they look better than the United States. And, you know, we talked at the, in the upfront a little bit about how we were expecting, you know, slow to negative economic growth in the U.S. this year. Well, we can talk more about whether we're going to have 0% or a little negative or slightly positive, but we're going to have really slow economic growth this year. And most emerging economies are expecting something like 5 6%. And so if you put all that together, better valuations, higher growth rates, and a dollar depreciation, um, and then you get outperformance for both you know, Europe, Japan, and then also some of the emerging countries as well. Public real estate, we talked about that a little bit. That's up a lot year to date. Bonds on the fixed income side of portfolios, especially longer term bonds and higher yield bonds have performed really, really well. So the riskier parts of the bond market. Remember that bond prices move inversely to interest rates. So as interest rates start to start to level out and then go down, bond prices go up. And so we've seen that happening over the first part of 2023. And so we've seen bond prices do pretty well. We started talking in the fourth quarter last year about rebalancing risks and moving back into equities where people were underweight given uh, the market declines last year. Um, and the start of this year demonstrates again why that's so important because the consensus like we talked about was that equity markets were going to struggle the first half of this year and then maybe they would bounce back in the second half and, and that could still happen maybe but it certainly seems like we've moved to a much stronger first half and maybe a weaker second half and so trying to predict where markets are going to go short term is really difficult and so that's why it's important to stay dedicated to a longer term investment strategy so consensus last year amongst the wall street they Mm -hmm. which is what they are to the average American, not economists and strategists, like they on Wall Street. Yeah, economists and strategists. Hypothesized that the first half of the year would not be great. The second half could be a little bit better. That's but, right. you know, kind of like a mixed bag, they weren't really sure. Yep. What we're seeing is that that consensus has turned much more positive over the last few weeks as the market has performed better in the first five weeks of the year. Yeah, the first five weeks of the year. That's right. Where we have to be careful is that I don't know how much has actually changed about the underlying economy. So everyone has gotten more positive, but I don't think we've actually seen that much change in the underlying in the underlying economy. We talked a little bit about how the first five weeks of the year have been more positive than many. The consensus mm -hmm. on Wall Street, you know, sort of forecasted, predicted. I think one of the numbers that sort of jumped off the page over the last week or so was the publication of the payroll number and what a huge number that was versus expectations. Talk a little bit about like, where does that number come from? And then we can talk maybe about like why people might have been surprised by that number. Yeah. So, so the payrolls number from two weeks ago showed that there were 500,000 new jobs in the United States. And, and that, that number, that 500,000 comes from the U S government survey of businesses around the around the economy. So they go and ask employers, hey, how many employees do you have in your business this month? And then they aggregate all of that up and forecast it for the economy. The other way that we look at the labor market, so there's two ways we look at the labor market. That's the payrolls number, right? Because that includes people that work for an organization, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a W-2 employee, you would be like included in that number. But there's also a lot of people that own their own business or even, you know, more so in today's economy are self-employed. Right. And those people wouldn't be included in those numbers. Right. You and I both used to work at companies. Right. So we were included in the payroll side of this equation. But when we started our own businesses. Right. And, and now you're back in the, in the sort of payroll world. But for a while we were both self-employed. And so we wouldn't have showed up in that number. So there's also a household survey and the household survey looks, ask people, ask households. 
Are you employed? Do you have a job? Are you looking for a job? Those kinds of things. And both of those surveys showed that the labor market is pretty tight. So it's not, I don't think that payrolls number is an outlier in the sense that it wasn't really 500,000. It was really a lot less than that. There was some error that happened. No, it's, you know, these numbers are always, they always get revised a little bit, but it's, you know, if you say the U.S. economy in a good month should create, you know, 150, 200,000 jobs, we probably created somewhere between 350 and 500,000 jobs. So that's still really strong, really tight labor market. Why did it? Why did the payroll jobs report grow so much more than expectation? Yeah, so I think what we're seeing is just continued hiring on the services side of the economy. So when you go in and dissect the number and look at different um, industries, what you're seeing is that hotels and a lot of places that provide services to people as spend moves back from the good side of the economy that was so overspent and, and grew so much during COVID as Folks move their spending back to services and they want to travel. They want to go out to restaurants and all those kinds of things. You know, those places are still understaffed. If you look around your community, right, and you go places, you still see places where, you know, there's not enough kind of help in the restaurant, right? There Maybe they're not seating as many tables or you go to a hotel and they're still not operating quite at full capacity, all those kinds of things. And so there's a lot of demand still for service uh, sector jobs, and that's what's continuing to drive the labor market. I think, too, maybe what is surprising to some folks is you see that number and you say, but wait, in the news, I'm hearing about all these layoffs, right? Yeah. How do you reconcile that? I, I think it's really important to, to just keep the magnitude of the U.S. economy in, in mind. We talked about this a little bit in our 2023 outlook because we had started to hear some rumblings of this, but you know, you'll, you'll see a news article in the Wall Street Journal or, or on the evening news, and it's like, Microsoft is going to lay off 10,000 people. And it's really important to acknowledge like the kind of the human element of that, right? If like those, for those 10,000 people, they're losing their job and you go from like instant good economy to instant recession, like overnight when it happens, right? But the reality is when the economy as a whole is adding 500,000 jobs a month, those few people, like a few thousand folks that get laid off, especially in the technology sector, like we've seen, they probably find a new job relatively quickly. And so they get absorbed somewhere else in the economy. And you think about some of these companies, they employ hundreds of thousands of people a lot of times. So laying off tens of thousands of folks or a few thousand people, it's not a huge uh, part of the workforce. And so when you think about it in, in the context of a, of a really large, really tight labor market, um, you have to see layoffs happen in a much more significant fashion for it to truly start to drive the economy lower. Does that make sense? It does. So... I think one of the things that you said that prompted another question for me is this idea that, you know, money, particularly during the more like heightened days of COVID really moved into goods. Mm -hmm. And now since then, I think everyone, you know, sees and understands it's moved more from goods to services. Doesn't that like end at some point in time where, you know, maybe, maybe we're still riding a little bit high, but what was forecasted for the first half of this year could come about in the second half of the year where like, the cash and households just kind of slows down and there's not that spending in goods and there's not that same level of spending in services. Yeah. So as interest rates have increased, we are seeing the economy slow down, right? So, and this, maybe this goes back to dovetail and into your earlier question about why was the consensus or why were the expectations so wrong? I think people were expecting that magically we were going to get into the first part of this year and we were going to be in a quote-unquote recession and jobs were going to, you know, companies were just going to magically start laying people off and we were going to have negative, you know, payroll numbers or really low payroll numbers. It was just going to happen like that. The reality is the Fed is raising interest rates and that is slowing down 
spending, it's slowing down consumer spending. We're shifting back into, into services, but the aggregate numbers are coming down. Uh, business investment going down, not up. GDP was strong in the fourth quarter, but when you really get in there and dissect what's actually happening and you take out some of the noise around imports and exports and inventories that were in supply chain issues that were still building up coming out of COVID, you see that final sales number, the, the U.S. consumer that's buying goods. It was still good, but it's starting to get slower as we go along. And so it is possible that as consumers spend down some of the cash that they had built up from from COVID, mm-hmm. as we get into the second half of the year, that, that the economy gets a little bit weaker. But I, I think it's also important to note that just because consumers spend down the excess money that they had built up from COVID doesn't mean that we're necessarily in a bad place because that money wasn't there before the pandemic and the economy was doing really, really well. So just because we get back to where we were pre-pandemic doesn't necessarily mean we're going to go into a recession because that was actually a really strong economy. So we've got to get significantly worse than that in order for um, you know us to have sort of a, a really negative kind of recession. Versus sort of like a right-sizing recession. Yeah, right-sizing recession where you see slower economic growth, right? Maybe some kind of malaise or something like that, you know, but but not something that's truly that's that's truly negative. Well, and I think one of the things that I've had a hard time sort of wrapping my mind around is you have that happening simultaneous, this potential like slowing slash malaise mm-hmm. at the same time that you still have a very strong labor market. And how to like wrap your head around that things might slow down, but they're not going to slow down that much unless there's a big shift in the labor market, right? And those things, like, I don't know, that just feels very like cyclical, like a catch-22 in a way. Yeah. So one of the things we've been talking about for a long time, right, is that this, uh, the labor market tightness is not going to go away quickly. And that continues to be the case. You see that with the really high payrolls number, it's going to take an extended period of time, and you know the Federal Reserve Chairman keeps saying this, and it's like the markets don't believe him. But it's going to take a long time for the U.S. economy to work through all of the the excess that was built up during during the pandemic, and it, it, it's it's just going to take a while. So, um, talk then a little bit about you know one of the questions I had early on in our conversation is you have said that the underlying components of the economy haven't changed, and yeah. yet it still feels like consensus, consensus. on Wall Street is surprised at what has happened in the first five weeks of the year. So I guess like, I don't know, it feels to me a little bit like the weatherman, like they're saying it's going to rain and it hasn't rained. And then they're surprised when it's sunny outside. So like, how do we think about that? So a couple of things. So I think the consensus was expecting much weaker labor market to just happen beginning in January this year. The expectation was that the payroll number was going to start to go down, right? They were expecting labor weakness. Wall Street was expecting corporate earnings to go down. We've seen we've seen that happen, by the way. I think what's, you know, the strong labor market, people feel good, but we, we're coming through our earnings season now. Companies are reporting earnings for Q4. That, by the way, is where a lot of these layoff announcements are happening as companies are saying, hey, our earnings are down and, you know, we've got to do things to manage our margins. Earnings for the fourth quarter, they're not up. You know, normally we talk about whether or like corporate earnings are growing fast enough relative to expectations. Corporate earnings are down 5.3%. Uh, coming through the end of the fourth quarter. So they're they're not beating their earnings estimates. Um, earnings are weaker. We've seen a slowdown in manufacturing and retail sales activity, right? We talked about that a little bit. The economy is starting to sort of downshift. So the underlying economy is slowing down. Corporate earnings are slowing down. 
the labor market is just really, really tight still. So, and that is just because of the number of the quantity of people is down. So the whole supply demand thing, like there's demand is still outstripping the supply of workers. Yeah. The demand for workers is just so high that even though we're slowing down the economy and we're starting to turn the ship, right? But that gap, you know, if you look at, go back and look at our 2023 outlook, you see that chart of the gap between the demand for workers, the number of open jobs in the U.S., and the available workers, people that are unemployed, and that gap is just historically really, really large. And it's gonna take a while for, for that to work down. So we can continue to slow the economy and slow the economy and slow the economy, and you've gotta keep doing that until you know all those jobs get filled. So talk a little bit then about this language of like soft landing, hard landing, touch and go landing. Like, is <laughs> yeah. that all about this? What does that even mean? So that, that goes back to the concept of a recession, right? So when the Federal Reserve starts to raise interest rates. The sort of market forecasters and, and investors start to pay attention to, okay, if, if the Federal Reserve is gonna raise interest rates, what they're trying to do is slow down the economy, right? To, to mm -hmm. take infl inflation out of the system. And the result of that is less economic growth. And the question is, to what extent are we gonna have less economic growth. If we have a quote unquote hard landing, that means we're going to have a recession. We're going to have negative GDP. We're going to have high unemployment. Things are going to feel really bad from an economic perspective. Mm -hmm. A soft landing is where the Fed sort of is able to raise interest rates, get inflation down, and then maybe GDP is flat up a little bit or maybe down a little bit. Unemployment doesn't really rise a whole lot, right? It kind of mm -hmm. stays around, you know, three, four percent. Uh, what we consider to be full employment in the United States. And it feels kind of okay, right? So that's a soft landing. And the no landing is, I, I don't necessarily know what no landing is or a touch and go landing. It's like we just take back off the other side. But I think in, in this case, if we don't get a landing, then inflation is going to continue to rise and that's going to be a problem. And the Fed will raise interest rates. It's going to be very committed to doing that until we until we have- At least have soft landing. Yeah, lower economic growth. And so I, I, I don't think we're just going to sort of continue back the other side and go back to 2021 and- High flying tech, you know, stocks and all that kind of stuff. That that is a thing in the past because the Fed will raise rates um, consistent with with you know slowing down the economy. So, is it all really going to kind of play out the way that it was forecasted? It's just going to take longer than maybe people thought. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think it's going to take longer, not necessarily to slow the economy down. The, the rate increases are doing that. It's causing companies to expand less, to borrow less money. Right, you see that most. But that um, hasn't like trickled market, down right? yet. Oh, yeah, right. the same thing that happens to consumers in the housing market, right? Where where mortgage rates go up and you can't buy a house or don't you know you have to buy less house or something like that happens to companies and their expansion plans. They can't borrow, and so that's that does trickle its way down through the economy, and it's and it slows everything down. But when you've got so many open jobs in the labor market, you've got to have that slow growth or even negative growth for an extended period of time in order to work through all of those all of those jobs and have all of those jobs go away, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's compounded by that shift into services where you know just naturally, even if you weren't trying to slow down the economy, you've got more people shifting back into services that that weren't maybe spending in that in, in restaurants and in nail salons and in hotels and travel and those kinds of things for the last couple of years. And so there's just natural demand in those spaces. And so in, in some of those places, the labor shortage is even more acute. So it's just going to take more time for it to work itself. So you talked a little bit about how the economy is slowing down, but it kind of seems like you're thinking soft landing-ish is probably we're going to be in combination between this really tight labor market and the fact that the Fed has repeatedly said they are going to slow Mm -hmm. 
the growth down. So this like touch and go idea is probably, you know, not a part of their picture of the future. Talk a little bit about then like what you think we should expect from the markets. Yeah. So markets don't behave perfectly rationally. And I think that's important, right? We think like markets are these perfect, perfectly rational discounting mechanisms that they take into account all of this information. The reality is the market is a lot of people expressing their views and they are rational and over time they are efficient and we can do a whole other podcast. I think we'll do one soon on, on market efficiency and those kinds of things. But the reality is markets don't behave in short-term periods of time perfectly rationally. And so we hear about this thing called the January effect in particular in markets that happens in January. People come out of Christmas, they're sort of flush with cash from Christmas bonuses. Maybe they've sold a lot of assets that was particularly acute this year. People were, were doing what's called tax loss harvesting or tax loss selling at the end of last year, realizing a lot of those losses. They've got cash. They need to put that to work. And then you couple the sort of normal need to put cash to work in uh, the stock market and in the bond market with this year where we have record high levels of cash because a lot of investors were holding extra cash last year because markets were going down. So you put all those factors together and you say, well, even though the economy is slowing down, corporate earnings are down, the job market is still okay. And I have all this cash that I need to put to work. So I start to invest that in the market and you get a really strong market rally. So it's, it's really important not, you know, even if you have a really good sense of what corporate earnings were going to look like, right? The street consensus was pretty right about that. They were pretty right about the economy slowing down, maybe not so right about the job market. But even if you get all those things right, it's really difficult to predict exactly what the market's going to do over a really short period of time. So it's important not to try to chase that, not to try to call market bottoms, but to still be a long-term investor. So... How do you think about, you know, kind of, I think, wrapping. So how do you think about wrapping this up for our listeners? We talked a little bit about what expectations were coming into the year, why we are sort of where we are over the last five weeks. What, if anything, do they need to do about it? Yeah, so we may get some weakness from here as, you know, maybe we go back to a near-term stock market lows. Maybe we don't. It's, it's very possible that markets brush off kind of recession and they continue to rise and we've seen the market bottom. So trying to decide exactly when to invest is very, very difficult. There's no magic formula that anyone has that answers that question when the market is going to stop discounting a recession and kind of move into the next bull market. No one has that answer. And so trying to, trying to play that game is, is really challenging. So it's important to make a long-term investment plan. If you haven't made one, do that now and then stick with it over time. And so that means you know you can start buying stocks and start buying bonds if you haven't been doing that, if you're underweight those things, if you have a lot of cash, don't do it all at once, right? Trickle that money back into the into the market over time and, and start investing because you know I would expect over the next five or 10 years, markets are going to go higher regardless of whether that starts in February of 2023 or it starts in August of 2023. Five years from now, you're going to look back um, and be happy with those decisions. Awesome. Well, thanks for catching us up on the markets and what's happening in the economy the first five weeks of the year, Brennan. This was helpful for me and hopefully helpful for our listeners. If they want to find more information, I know you've been blogging a ton. Tell us a little bit about where we can read more of or listen more to the your cap- work. Thecapitalstewards.com. You can find us there. Check out our perspectives. Blogs are up there and uh, you can learn more about what we do. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you next time.
commentary provided is for general audiences and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice for your specific situation. That's why you should talk to a professional. Hello. Past performance of market results is no assurance of future performance. All the information on the podcast has been obtained from sources we deem reliable as of the date of this recording, but it's not guaranteed.